Hey y'all, this is Eric Stanley out of Austin, Texas with Trail Roots Running and we connect runners locally here. We also provide coaching, community and running knowledge and we hope you check us out um, online at trailroots.com and this is actually our third podcast here today. We have Chris Kirif, who's one of our members actually and um, he has a pretty crazy story that I just wanted to share with the world and have him be able to talk about it too. So, um, basically having his fiance taken away, um, and you'll hear out, hear more about how that happens and how he ended up just started running to work through the stress and the challenges that he faced, um, while he was separated from his fiance. Hey, Chris. Hey. Okay, um, Chris Kirif, is that how you say it? Yeah, most people just call me Chris K. Chris K. All right, cool, man. Um, thanks for coming today. And just want to start with a little bit, tell the audience a little bit about you, what you're up to right now. Uh-huh. Well, i uh from Seattle. Grew up there all my life um, on the east side of Seattle, like the Redmond Bellevue area. And then uh, my family moved to Oregon right around 2000, 2001, but I stayed in Seattle. And then um, I moved to Texas almost two years ago, mm-hmm. first to Houston, and then now in Austin. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I've got an older sister, four years older. Okay. With, and then she's got two, three kids. And she's in Seattle? She's in uh, Oregon, Bend, okay. Oregon. My whole family's in Bend. Oh, Bend, that's nice. Yeah, 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 that's right. It's a good place to visit. Um, and you just ran an ultra last weekend? Uh, well, not an ultra, but a 20, oh, right. 22 mile. Okay, where was that? At Tyler, Texas, running of the rows. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how'd it go? I, I felt good. Yeah, I like the first... First loop was 11 miles and did that in just under two hours. And um, what did you think about the the trail? I've been out there. Um, oh no, I keep getting it with the crazy desert. I keep getting yeah. it mixed up, but it's not. Yeah, it's what's it, it like there. It, it was, was cool, woods. like really tall trees. Yeah, piney woods, like tall trees. The trail was like really rolly, so a lot of nice ups and downs, but like not too not too aggressive up and kind of a rolling down. So. It felt good, like it was a fun trail, and it kind of reminded me of like the trails up in the northwest. So I like running up there in like East Texas when I can. So yeah, totally different um, than Central Texas. Get away from the rocks. Yeah. (laughs) Cool, man. What do you got? Um, Anything on the calendar right now? Um, The uh, only one I'm signed up for is the Y East Howl in uh, July in Mount Hood. Okay. Um, I'm going to go up and run Mount Hood. My dad grew up on that mountain, so it's going to be kind of a fun run to do. Um, grew up on it? Well, yeah. His my his grandfather built a cabin on Mount Hood, so my dad grew up skiing on Mount Hood from like when he was five. So um, it's I've always kind of identified Mount Hood as kind of like my dad's mountain. So Check out my shirt I got on. It's actually... Mount Hood. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I got it in college at <laughs> Buffalo Exchange, and yeah. funny I'm wearing it today. Yeah. Um, so, and then um, I kind of have semi ambitions to run the Grand Canyon in May. Okay. Rim to rim to rim. I've been talking to a friend 
uh, about doing that. That's cool. Yeah. You've been, uh, have you been out there before? No. Okay. Yeah, man, we've had a handful of people do it from trail route. So mm-hmm. just post and see. Yeah. Um, I'm sure people would give you a ton of feedback. Mm-hmm. I know Matt did it last year and he likes to talk about that stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, um, cool. And how'd you find trail routes? Um, when I moved to Austin, um, a friend of mine from Seattle that, um, it's kind of one of, you know, one of the guys that kind of got me into, uh, running and particularly trail running. My friend, Ben, he, uh, he put me in touch with this guy, Bobby Daniel. And, uh, he was like, Oh, I want you to meet my friend since you're in Austin. And so he hooked me up with Bobby. And then, uh, my, my first run with Bobby, we were, we were, we left at the, we were running down the green belt at the 360 trailhead. Oh, that's when we saw you? Yeah. Man. Okay. And he, he kept on like, we passed all these people and every single one of them was like, Hey Bobby, Hey Bobby. Hey Bobby. <laughs> and I was like, damn, this guy Bobby gets around. Like he knows everybody on the trail. Yeah. And so that's when he said, Oh, this is a, this is a group I used to run with and you should, you know, join if you want to make some friends and find some new trails to run. So that's how I got hooked up. Do you guys still run? Occasionally, like, you know, I'll, I'll hit him up sometimes and, um, him and, uh, Katie, Katie. you know, Katie, uh-huh. they just like, she used to run with us. Yeah. They just like trudge their way through like the violent, uh, the, the violet crown trail, like the one that they're building. And they kind of figured out, like they hacked like a 20 mile, the rest of it. Yeah. To kind of like figure out where they're going to put it. It's kind of cool. So. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll occasionally hit him up and go for a run every so often. So yeah, I love Bob Bailbush. Actually, I was supposed to meet up with him the other day for for coffee after the Thursday run. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to connect with him because it's been a while since I've mm-hmm. seen him every now and then. But um, just like to stay in touch with him. Yeah, so. he's a great guy. Cool man. Um, and how's your experience been so far? Just coming to Austin, mm-hmm. meeting people, do you feel like you're able to connect and through running, you know, how's that been different than, you know, maybe if you didn't have that? Yeah, I mean, ever since, I didn't even really run until I moved to Texas. Um, so I think that's been one way um, as I'm like now 40 and don't like go out to bars like I used to, like um, has been a way like, even when I was in Houston trying to like join running groups and kind of meet some people. Um, so it's definitely been a, a, a good thing to be able to, um, especially like work from home and, um, so being able to get out, um, on the weekends and meet people and run trails with people, it's so hard. I mean, you kind of, you know, it's hard to be the new guy and kind of figure out how to engage, but relationships, I kind of just realized like take a long time, you know? So. Well, yeah. And I think for, you said for your, um, I think there's just different people go about it differently. Some people are, um, it's really easy for them to meet and connect and other people, you know, it takes, takes longer, you know? And so, um, you mentioned with your business, you know, tell us a little bit about what you do with, for school of rock. And, um, you know, you've kind of shared some ideas with me about, um, community and, 
um, developing community and um, how that can, how what you do plays into what basically mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> I'm the director of operations for School of Rock. We're like a um, kind of after school music program um, performance space. So we kind of do um, for mostly kids, but also adults and uh, youngers. Um, we do like private lessons, group rehearsals, and then our kids like play shows every season. Um, I've been with the company for 12 years and I started the school in Seattle um, and then grew it to like one of the top 10 in the country. So they kept on giving me more schools to oversee. And um, the unique thing about School of Rock is that it is like um, more than just music lessons. You're kind of, you know, we're connecting kids with each other and connecting parents with other parents. And so it is sort of, it's like building a community. I often equate it with um, my schools that I manage, you know, kind of like the the church for the unchurched. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so um, it is part of like my job too, to like teach others how to build community. And it's, and it's a passion of mine. It's like my degree in college was like a self-designed degree from um, Fairhaven College, which is at Western Washington University in Bellingham. Um, part of my degree was was community development that I kind of designed. So it's something that's passionate for me just because I, I feel like it's something I'm kind of good at, like connecting people and um, creating a space that people can, you know, meet each other. So that's why it's sort of odd um, thing to have moved to Texas and kind of left my community in Seattle and kind of be new and figure out how to, how to start over. And um, it's been a challenge, but it's also like helped me think hard about what community is and what I want it to be and what, um, you know, what kind of community do I want to be connected with and, and how do people connect, you know, like, how do you, um, how do you just, how do you meet people? How do you make friends? Like, and I'm sort of struck with like really relationships can sometimes just form from like one question, you know? Um, you know, I was sort of running the group for months, but still not really like meeting people until, um, you know, like Ed was running with him one day and he's like, how, you know, how are you adjusting to Austin? And so we had like a really nice, you know, three mile conversation about, about it. And, so it's it's cool. Like sometimes it just takes one question to sort of make a friend, you know. But um, it's been fun to to gradually meet people, and particularly like the Christmas party, I felt like I met a lot of people. So I, I look forward to all this stuff, even outside of running, um, as ways to connect and meet. Yeah, man. I think it's uh, it's really interesting to get your perspective and um, helpful for me too. And and you mentioned like church for the unchurched and. Um, I think I've kind of gone back and forth with wanting to go to church and then not going. And, um, and I think, um, so I don't know if I'm churched or not church, but I guess I'm unchurched right (laughs) now. But, um, I think we're in a time when finding community is kind of changing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, as much time as we spend not in front of people, um, I think group like doing things like we do is becoming more and more important. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, that's why a lot of people deal with anxiety and depression and um, maybe not the whole reason, but part of it, you know, and just feeling alone. And, and in the end, um, I think we 
feel happier when we do have community and we have, you know, I'm reading this book about tribes. Um, and so I think looking at a church is really interesting because a lot of what, what I do with the community at trail roots, I think about churches sometimes because it's, you have like the preacher, the pastor, and then you have, you know, dinner groups, and then you have like, um, elders and, you know, different leaders in the, um, in the community. And so, um, it's interesting. And Austin isn't a very, doesn't seem to be, I think it's a very spiritual, um, place. Like most of the people, not a ton of people go to church. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. the people that are in the group. Maybe it's not as real, you know, it's not super religious, um, feeling. Um, so I think with, with the community and the running group, that tends to be, um, you know, and maybe instead of going to church, we're out, you know, running around town for, you know, four hours on a Sunday. And, um, for me, it's interesting trying to find, um, my connection with God during that time, you know, um, as it's just different from going to church, but I think it's still, um, it's still, I think it's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up going to church too. So that's why I kind of have that perspective of what, and that's, you know, from my perspective, the most important aspect of church is the community Mm -hmm. and, and connecting with each other. Um, and so, um, I don't go to church now necessarily because it's like almost too hard to meet people at church, ironically. <laughs> I mean, you go, if you go on a Sunday and I've gone since I've been in, in Texas, um, you walk in and you, you know, sit in the back or whatever, and you can very easily like walk out without a single person yeah. talking to you, you know, because the whole thing's built around one guy up there. Preaching, and it feels like know. sometimes I've noticed, well, for me, I, I don't like, I, I do sit in the back. And then I'm just kind of trying to get out of there before someone talks to me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, don't try to invite me back. Um, and I'm very hypocritical. I, I'm sitting there thinking about all the things I would change uh-huh. instead of just taking it as it is. Right. Um, and so I think there's been a struggle there, but. Um, but yeah, and, and I mean, there's, there is, it, the analogy goes even deeper. I mean, there's a, a, definitely like a, a spiritualness to running that, I mean, I've sort of found running as, as my, you know, church and religion and, and my way to connect with God is, is when I'm the most contemplative and prayerful is when I'm out on the trails or out running around the lake, you know? So, um, so, you know, what, what you're doing is, 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 it is, could be the Lord's work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, uh, when you talked about going to, it's funny because I actually grew up thinking I was going to be like a spiritual light prophet or something. Or uh-huh. <laughs> I just felt like I was, um, I was super spiritual and, and I grew up Christian scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was very um, deep and like I was real involved at a young age all through high school. And I felt like I was going to be like a revolutionary for this religion. And I took all this on my shoulders and then, I got to college and I started drinking and I was just like, (laughs) everything, you know, shifted. And, um, so you're saying doing, for me, I've tried to find that, like, how can I bring, you know, happiness and love and, um, connect people and then be open to anyone and not have to have parameters or like, Hey, I mean, and actually it does have parameters. Like we don't, you know, we focus on, 
you know, treating each other kindly mm-hmm. and, you know, helping each other. And so I, if someone's in there just, you know, being hateful, it doesn't make sense. Right. It doesn't work. So, um, but anyway, I've been thinking about how, how I can fulfill my purpose mm-hmm. from what I think, whatever I think that is, um, through, through the running group. And, um, so I don't know, it's just, it's kind of interesting you said that, but it kind of led me into, you talked about, you started running about two years ago, mm-hmm. you said, so tell us a little bit, uh, I know you have a big, um, you know, you've gotten to running in an unusual way. You didn't like, you didn't grow up running. Did you go up playing any sports? Did you? Yeah. Um, the only sport I did in high school was wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, I have friends that were trying, who would always try to get me to go out for cross country. And I was like, that's silly. I only run to get in shape for wrestling. Why would you run as a sport itself? <laughs> I never understood. It was so silly to me. It was like, no, running sucks. Like mm-hmm. you only do it cause it sucks, you know? So, and, right, and it's to get in shape for something else, you know? Yeah. Right. So, um, but I did, you know, in high school, I was pretty, pretty focused on wrestling during like that season. Um, and, and I, you know, I was decent at it. But um, <clears throat> I didn't really, I mean, I've kind of ran a little bit um, here and there uh, throughout my life. But then, and then I ran like my first um, half marathon in like 2014 um, in Leavenworth, Washington. Um, but that was mostly because I, I think I was seeing a girl at the time that was, that was a runner. So I was, I think I did it to impress her. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, I didn't really start running, um, until kind of what happened, um, sort of my, the big tragic event of my life in 2017. Um, my, uh, so I was engaged to a lady, um, named Marquette and, uh, she had a sudden cardiac arrest on August 7th, 2017. Um, and she was without oxygen for 30 minutes yeah, um, yeah. and I did I was like there she was um, essentially she was having some stomach issues so she was prepping for a colonoscopy that she was supposed to get that morning um, and she woke up in the morning and we were talking and she she was supposed to stop drinking liquids and she's said you know I, I gotta stop drinking liquids and I said yeah drink drink up you know while you can she took a sip of Gatorade and then ran to the bathroom, threw up, and then hit the floor. So, did they? How? Why did that happen? Did they know? Like because she of her stomach issues and um, and like she hadn't really been eating well for the last two weeks, and then mm. the colon prep, which basically just like clears out your whole system. Mm-hmm. Um, she her just electrolytes were just out of whack. And, yeah. And so, you know, your electrolytes keep your muscles uh, working. And so your heart is a muscle and it stopped. So um, there's also, um, you know, some closet alcoholism that was going on too that, you know, contributed to her not being healthy. Um, that sort of I found out about after the fact. But, um, you know, I jumped in up and did CPR and called 911 and, um, and they came pretty quick, but, um, they still were working on her for a long time on our living room floor. And, um, they finally got her back. And like, I looked at the clock from when 
my first call to when like I called my mom to tell her what happened. It was like 30 minutes. Um, so they, you know, rushed to the ER and um, her Marquette's mom is from Texas and Houston. So I flew her up and um, pretty much like the next like week was like just hell on earth, like trying to figure out, you know, wh whether Marquette would live or not mm -hmm. you know, through this. Um, so what is she in? Is she in a induced a coma or anything? Like what is, so she goes to the hospital and what, yeah, are, you, she was, what are you thinking? I mean, she what, what's she going was on? like, a, she was, she was awake. Like she wasn't in a coma. Like she was awake, but like not, you know, her eyes were open and, you know, she's clearly uncomfortable trying to like get the, you know, uh, breathing tube out of her mouth and stuff, you know, but we didn't know what kind of like state her mind was in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the doctors are, I mean, I think like initially they're trying to get the heart stable and it's, it was kind of really, it's really interesting watching like to have, you know, when you die basically is what happened. She died and then they're bringing her back to life and to sort of almost like follow the order. It's like, all right, well, like your heart needs to pump for everything else to work. And so it's like, we we're watching her, like her whole body, like reset. Trying to come back way, to life. You know, yeah. So, um, what are you thinking the whole but, time? Oh, I mean, it was just like, it, what do you, what do you think? You know, it's like, it's just, it, it's, it's, it was a nightmare, you know? Um, but her mom flew in, um, and like then, and of course, like I had, you know, friends and family come to the hospital and like surround me and, um, and us and kind of like a whole army there of support, but, um, the doctors couldn't quite tell. I mean, they kind of stabled her, but they couldn't quite tell us like what state her mind was going to be in, you know, cause like you have a, that much oxygen loss, your brain is, could be fucked, you know? So, yeah. Um, so the next day, um, her mom, you know, I had a bunch of people there. Doctor came and kind of sat us down and, um, a friend asked on our behalf was like, what do we need to talk about? Like a, you know, DNR, like do not resuscitate sort of like plan. And doctor was like, yeah, you might, you know, start discussing what that looks like. And then, um, that evening her mom had like a, priest come in to do like anointment of the sick, like Marquette grew up Catholic. So kind of anointment of the sick and like pray over Marquette. And while this priest is doing this, it's like me and the, her mom and the chaplain and this priest, um, Marquette just starts shaking. Like her whole body just starts shaking. And then, then the doctors all come rushing in and then it's like code blue. They kick us out and then they are like, started to, you know, pump her heart back up. And doctor comes up to us and is like, this is when you have to decide if you want us to resuscitate her or not. And her mom looked at me and she was like, I don't think her body can take it. I don't think she can take it. And so we told him to stop. And they were like, you sure? Like, yeah. And so they, they let us back in essentially to like say goodbye to her lowered the bed down and me and her mom are just like putting our arms around her and saying, we love her. We love you. We love you. You know, 
And then all of a sudden her her heart just started beating. Yes. On its own. So um, essentially she like beat death twice (laughs) within two days. Um, So the rest of that week we kind of, you know, just like pins and needles as far as like what, you know, her, what, what kind of life she might have. And the doctors were, you know, doing a bunch of brain scans and not really seeing a lot of activity. So. <clears throat> Just meaning she had significant brain damage. Yeah. <clears throat> right. So they, um, they, we moved her to a different hospital, one that could, that was specialized more in like neuro stuff where they could monitor her brain activity like on a longer period of time. So they moved her on like on a Friday um, down to uh, Swedish Hill um, in Seattle. And then um, they were going to tell us like, we will know more like after a weekend of like looking at her brain, you know, and you know, no doctors really ever telling us like anything significant, you know, about like what to expect or anything. So that Sunday, the doctor, another doctor we hadn't met before, like came in and marched us down like a long hallway into a room and basically like told us like, you know, you have to decide, like you have to, you know, be Marquette's advocate and decide what Marquette would want. And she likely won't have like a, any high quality of life. And so you should, you should consider whether essentially like pulling the plug and letting her go. So she's on life support still in this yeah. time. Yeah. Okay. So she's like having, you know, machines breathe for her and all that stuff. And <clears throat> so, and what are you thinking? Cause you already made that decision once. Yeah. And she's like still with it. I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah. It's basically like the worst decision you'd have to make for another human being, you know, especially like your, your, the love of your life, you know? So we all kind of like left the room and I, I know, and for some reason they were like giving us like 24 hours to like decide or something like that. So we left the room, all kind of went our separate ways. Um, I called my friend Ben who like lived down the street and he met me at a park and I just, I had told him, you know, what was going on. And he's again, one of the guys that got me into running and, um, that night and we, you know, we were pretty certain that like, that's what we we're going to do. And this doctor was saying like, well, of course, like Marquette wouldn't want to live on machines the rest of her life. So you were certain that you were going to do not resuscitate. Yeah. And, we were just you know, basically like continue with that, take the airway and oh, let the person go. You know? Yeah. Okay. And, which is different from do not resuscitate. You're right. basically taking her off by support. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so that night I, I went back, told my family too, you know, who's all around me and we went back and um, I, I was like pretty certain like this was gonna be the last night I spent with her, you know, so <clears throat> I went to the hospital, got her favorite, well, I went home, got some stuff and went back to the hospital, got her favorite movie, which was Spaceballs and uh, sat with her that night, fell asleep. And um, my friend Gretchen, also a ultra runner <laughs> came came in that night and she snapped a photo 
of me in the hospital next to Marquette. Like I'd fallen asleep and like holding her hand, you know. Um, so I wake up in the morning and go and Gretchen's like across the room. And at that point again, like we, we didn't really know what we we're going to do, but we, we weren't certain that Marquette was going to live, you know. So I just told Gretchen, I was like, let's go for a run, you know. So we went, drove down to Seward Park um, and ran, ran around trails there. And the whole time I just prayed and meditated, thought about Marquette, you know, almost like in some ways, like willing her to breathe as I was running and breathing myself, you know, and, uh, and, you know, Gretchen had just kind of held some space with me while just we did that. Be there you with know? you. Yeah. And just ran. I mean, and then, um, I'm just we, hearing you say all this and it, you just can't imagine I can't imagine going through that. And I, yeah. Um, you know, you've told me some of this, most of this before, but some of it, hearing it right now, um, and all the details about it is just kind of mind blowing. It's something you can't expect and you can't, you don't know how to, you know, how you're going to react and how, how do you work through that? And I'm just, I'm really sorry, you yeah. know, to hear, how I can just can't imagine. I'm sorry you had to go through that. And yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It's significant, you know, life altering yeah. moment, you know. And um, but you know, we we ran and and I kind of made I guess like how, make peace with however you're going to make peace with that, you know. And got back to the hospital, and her mom and dad are there, and I walk in, and her mom's like kind of like smiling, like she's has a different like attitude and there's this new doctor there. And, uh, her mom is like, why don't, you know, tells the doctor, like, tell Chris what you just told us. And this doctor's like, well, he's like, Marquette's young. I don't see why you need to decide anything. Like we just need to give her time. And so so you're probably like, that's I'm like, fuck yeah, that's yeah. what we're going to do is give her time, you know? Right. Like, it was just so weird that we were being forced to make this decision, like in such a short period of time, you know? So that's, we, you know, we gave Marquette time. And of course, like doctors still always want to tell you like, you know, oh, uh, you know, like she's squeezing my hand. Oh, that's just a reaction or, you know, nothing. Like they don't want to give you any sense of hope, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I also had um, a friend, you know, a couple of friends come in that, you know, the night of actually come down. They drove down from somewhere far away um, and just prayed over Marquette. And um, and my friend Julie Jane, she said, told me that night, she's like, you know, you have permission to hope um, <laughs> no matter what anybody tells you. To the contrary, you you have permission to hope for, for a full recovery, you know? So that was like a significant piece of advice that I sort of held on to throughout the process. And so that's, I mean, that's awesome because it's, you probably have all these things telling you otherwise. And yeah. in the end, there's no one telling you, you know, there's probably a lot of people telling you not to hope, but you know, that's your thing. That's between you and 
right. your creator or whatever, you right. know? So, um, that I can understand that being really significant in that moment when there's so much going on. Yeah. And, and particularly, I mean, she, Julie Jane went through her own medical stuff too. And so she had been experienced, you know, experienced doctors, a lot of doctors telling you the opposite, like giving you the worst case scenario, which is part of their job. Right. But like, also what I realized is, um, you know, doctors are also just full of opinions. You know, it's like they study and they, they, they give you their best opinion based on, you know, whatever they, you know, whatever sort of like scientific data is telling them, but it's also an opinion, you know? I mean, it's just yeah. like my dad's a meteorologist, right? It's just like the, the you know, predicting weather. It's like, well, based on these patterns, this is what, you know, we think is going to happen, but that doesn't mean it doesn't get fucking rain the next day. You know? Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So. Especially in Washington. So, you know, I, I, I held on to that, um, that mantra too. And, um, and that's, and I started, you know, through, I, through the whole period of time, you know, started running a lot, um, as my way to, you know, pray and meditate. And especially like I felt, I know in some ways it was just like, as I ran and prayed and, you know, poured energy into Marquette and I, I sort of like imagined her brain healing in the process, you know? So, you know, call it superstition or religion or whatever. I kind of have this thing where like, I just feel in some way like every time I run and like make myself better, I'm somehow like, she's getting better too, you know? So it's kind of been my thing um, since then. And now she, you know, she ha has made a remarkable recovery um, but her, her parents moved her in December, 2017 down to Houston cause we weren't married so they could. And so that's why I moved to Houston and that following April to be near her. So at this point she's, she's learned how to, you know, and I was there, she learned how to walk again and talk again and pretty much function, but there's like a 10 year gap in her memory. So she doesn't remember like the last 10 years of her life, which includes much yeah. of our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's been hard, but like, but she, you know, since I moved to Texas and, you know, been, have been around her, she's, she, she knows like who I am and like that I'm a significant person in her life. But um, in October, of what, so 2018, um, her mom took her to like a psych evaluation or something or whatever they told him at that point. They were like, we don't think she understands like being in a relationship or what that means or should be, think that. So then her parents like cut me off from seeing her regularly. So that's when I moved to Austin. <laughs> Get out of Houston. Yeah. But, and then so, so you're there the whole time. This is your, some, you know, your fiance. Yeah. And then someone talks to her parents and then they cut you off and you're, you have no access. Right. To, to connect with her. Yeah. Like they, you know, essentially, yeah, they blocked me from talking to her and then. Did you see any signs of that? Was I. Yeah, you know, there was just like, you know, her mom would say stuff like, you know, you can't, you can't like tell her your, your, her fiance, 
I guess like the first time was like a, a friend of mine went to visit uh, her when I wasn't there and was saying, telling Marquette, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Greg, I'm, I'm Chris's friend, Chris, your fiance. And her stepdad was like ex-fiance. <laughs> You're like, what? And, and it, so like that, and so when Greg told me that, like he said that, I was like, wait, that was like the first, and I'm like, well, she, last I checked, she didn't fucking break up with me, you know? Right. <laughs> like, so. Are you like, what the you hell? Know? So then I started realizing that there's like this, you know, they're through some of their actions, they were like trying to like separate us, you know? And yeah. they didn't like the fact that I would still either refer to her or tell Marquette like who I was. And I'm like, I'm not, I mean, she deserves to know who I was, you know? Yeah. I In mean, her life. Yeah, so, both um, it didn't make a lot of sense. It still doesn't. And, you know, I've kind of had to work through also like <laughs> through running and whatnot, like work through my anger towards your parents for sort mm -hmm. of making some of the decisions they've made. Um, and so do you just, how much, what happens with your running? I mean, so you're going through this and you just start running. Are you like running every day? You start. Yeah. I mean, I, when I moved to Houston, there wasn't much to do and I had no friends like zero friends, you know? Um, so it was just like, you know, working from home, it was just my way to get out of the house and just run. I, I was living in Seabrook and they've got like, a, so a lot of like just gravel trails around mm -hmm. there. So, so I ran a lot just to, just to run and, and work what through up? like whatever, whatever I was going through, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I've run through a lot through, I've ran through tears. I've ran through anger. I've ran through, you know, frustration and, and happy moments too. You know, like even the moments that I could see Marquette and spend time with her, you know, there were really beautiful moments I've had with her, um, since all this has happened, you know, so, and, and just realizing that she's still alive as, mm -hmm. as much as she still struggles with, um, you know, memory and some of the cognitive, cognitive functioning, she's still, she's still here and still has very much like her spirit left in her, you know? Her yeah. Soul. And you can feel so, that. Yeah. And are, so are you, um, how, are you able to see her now? Like what's the deal with their parents? And, um, and you moved to Austin, she's in Houston. Yeah. Well, she's, she was in, um, ironically a year ago when they fully cut me off and like changed her number and stuff. Um, she was actually in, in, entering a facility in Round Rock, a brain injury facility. So she was literally 10 miles away from me for almost a year and I wasn't able to see her. And I tried to go see her and they put me on a list of people not, not allowed to see her. her. It's like I'm being treated like a fucking criminal and I didn't do anything wrong, you know, except for a lover. Right. Um, but her friend was... Just seems so unfair, you know? Yeah, I, it, it's, it's nuts. And, you know, I can get into their, you know, their reasoning why and whatever, but, you know, I'll never understand it. I just have to, like, accept that they're in control and, and you know, they're calling the shots. So... Yeah. Um, so she was in Round Rock for about 10 months and then uh, was in a facility in Dripping Springs for, like, a month and then... Um, most recently she was at a facility in Galveston and then I just heard the other day, yesterday I heard that she's out of that and back in Houston. Um, 
and they're maybe looking at another place to put her in like Elgin or something. So she's moving from kind of brain injury facility facilities to try to, you know, and I'm, I'm happy that she's still getting help and still continuing to work hard and get better. Um, so I, I'm not, when's the last time you saw her? I saw her in September and, um, and I talked to her as recently on her birthday, which is on January 25th. I was able to call her and wish her a happy birthday. So I talked to her on Christmas Day too, which I didn't expect her. She actually asked her mom if she could talk to me. And so her mom said. So do you think she's, yeah, you know. do you feel like she remembers anything or does, do you think she remembers you? Or is it from you being around the last year to that she's like believing? It's hard to say. Um, I, um, it's hard to say like what, what, what she remembers yeah. of, of our relationship because when you ask her like, Oh, Washington, you know, she's like, Oh yeah, Washington is beautiful. You're like, well, what do you remember about it? Like mountains and water. So like there might be like something there, but, um, I think mostly she remembers things we've told her since the brain injury mm-hmm. and that's kind of what she grabs onto. So there's kind of, um, a story, you know, when our first date that we went on was at the Atlanta Aquarium and we watched the, we watched like the whale sharks in the big like aquarium pool, you know, and uh, whenever we tell that story about like how we, our first date, you know, she, she would always tell people like, oh yeah, that's when you fell in love with me, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause it was like this moment was like, I was kind of freaked out and it was like this moment where I was just like, I'm just going to not freak out right now and just be present and just enjoy this moment with this woman I'm in love with. Right. So, um, so it's kind of like, freaked out on y'all's first, on this first date. Well, yeah, I was was a little bit, I was a little freaked out because I, because we worked together. And so it was like, I was like, probably not supposed to be seeing her, but (laughs) I was, (laughs) um, and that's another story, but um, but you know, so we watched the whale sharks. So like the whale sharks was like, whale shark was like a significant, like sort of part of our story. So after her brain injury, I got a tattoo of a whale shark on my, on my arm, that thing. Nice. Um, and so every time, every time, uh, I'd pick her up from, uh, are we going too long? No, I was no. going to. Uh, take a picture. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ron. Um, every time I'd pick her up from, you know, her house or whatever, she'd say like, um, oh, the tattoo, did that hurt? And I was like, well, yeah, a little bit. She's like, what is it? I said, it's a whale shark. And I tell her the story. Like that was our first date. You know, we, we went to see the whale shark. She's like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. You know, she always sort of say that she remembered it, even if she probably didn't. Right. But so then, um, I kept on telling her that story over and over again, you know, but then I saw her in September and, uh, and we were walking and she grabs my arm and she goes, that's a whale shark. That's our first date. And you're like, hell yeah. So, so yeah, it's like, I don't know if she actually remembers the, date itself but she remembers at least me telling her that story you know so well, so like the the whale shark for me is kind of just like a symbol of our love yeah. and also like a, a reminder for me to just be present you know because that's what I did and, and Marquette's mind right now is 
you know, with her memory issues, that's, that's pretty much the only place that she's able to live right now is just in the present, you know, of like wherever she is and wherever she is, she's usually happy, you know? Hmm. Um, so. Kind of makes me think of like being with a baby, like a toddler or a baby, you know, like mm-hmm. a really young child that everything is like brand new, you know? Yeah. Um, but obviously totally different. I mean, she definitely has so. like a lot of the, I mean, that sense of wonder too, like when she's driving the car and she'll just look at the sky and the stars, you know, she'll comment and like, oh, look at the sky, look at the stars, you know, it's like sort of beautiful yeah. in a lot of ways, like where, where her mind is. And in some ways I've tried to like embrace the fact that like, well, maybe, she, maybe she, her mind is just so unique right now because it's not bogged down by a bunch of the other shit that we all worry about. You know, she just is living, yeah, all living moment to moment, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing I want to, that it really is interesting to me is how through all this, um, running became your, your kind of, um, meditation place, your, mm-hmm. your time to pray, your time to just, um, be, you know, and, um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of people that go through challenging times, you know, I think this is significantly, you know, harder than anything I could imagine going through, but how you got through that and how you're running and your kind of your spiritual outlook helped you in that moment is awesome. And, you know, I hope that other people hear some of this and they can, you know, there's so many ways you can go when you're going through trauma and challenges like that. You know, you can just sit and drink a case of beer. You can go. There are a few of those too. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not saying, but I'm just thinking like, man, there's like, um, and you talked about, you know, finding community here. And when you were in Houston by yourself, I mean, it sounds really sad and like depressing thinking about going through that. And I just, I can't imagine how you could not be. And, but just, taking your feet and just getting your ass out the door and like taking advantage of what's in front of you. Yeah. And there um, definitely has been like just that, that idea, right. Of like just putting one foot in front of the other, you know, and just, um, you know, I haven't ran, um, anywhere close to a hundred miles yet, but a lot of folks, you know, that friends of mine that have done that is like, that's, sometimes just the mantra they have to go through is just like one step at a time, you know? Um, so that has been kind of how I've looked at things. And then also, uh, you know, also with Marquette too, you know, just like realizing that, you know, she's just got to do one day at a time and her brain's going to still continue to heal because the brain is a very interesting organ (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) where it continues to heal, you know? What I'd imagine eventually, you know, you get to a point where you're you're wondering how long do you, how long am I going to do this? Or, you know, is she going to come around or are we, you know, have you been in that place? Have you, you you talk about coming back to the present. Um, Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that, that's not a real present place to be. Um, But I'm just curious how you've dealt with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that like a lot of folks have kind of like encouraged me to, 
I guess for lack of a better term, like, you know, move on mm-hmm. with my life or whatever. And um, I understand, like, I mean, I've sort of come to terms with the fact that, like, well, we might, we're probably not going to be married. We're probably not going to be in a relationship. But, um, and so, like, I have to sort of look at what's next, what the next chapter is in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, people have asked me too, like, well, why don't you, why don't you like move back to Seattle? You know, cause that's where your friends are. And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm sort of, part of me is like embracing the newness of Austin. I think our brains are wired for new experiences. And so I'm like really leaning into, um, you know, running on new trails, finding new um, areas of town, you know, just like new places to eat, new friends, you know, just kind of leaning sure. into the newness of everything because that sort of keeps me excited. Um, also, you know, she's here still and there's still like opportunity for me to be able to see her every once in a while, which again, I just look at it as like every time I get to see her as a gift that I didn't, I, you know, I thought I would never have again, you know? So um, I'm kind of, I'm leaning into new and, um, and I, you know, I just still don't know what like, the next chapter necessarily sure. looks like, but right now I'm like, I'm kind of like content with being here and it's also rained like 28 consecutive days in Seattle. So yeah, I'm not I too imagine keen on <laughs> going back for the weather. <laughs> having the sun and some, yeah, the know, sun has definitely decent, been like, like we've had a really mild winter and yeah. not a ton of rain. Um, so it's not, a, it's not a bad place to be. Yeah. And yeah. And I think just having your feedback on the community aspect of, from what you do and what you've learned and how we can use that. And, and our group has been helpful. And even just the other week you were talking about, um, a, like an icebreaker mm-hmm. and, you know, cause like you're like at the beginning of a run, you know, have a question of the day or an icebreaker. And I think, um, that's all about community cause that's fosters conversation. And I think, mm-hmm. um, it's easy if you're not comfortable talking to just sit in the back and, you know, just to run and wait for someone to talk to you. And this kind of brings a, a, a kind of a, a natural way for someone to, to bring up a conversation and then it spawns whatever, you know, right. might come after that. And yeah. Like it. I said earlier, like relationships start by one, often by like one question, you know? Right. You know, like that's it. And and then all of a sudden you, one question will lead to another question will lead to like a conversation. So if we can all just like, you know, think about a question <laughs> to ask somebody, you know, it's just, and it's, it's silly. You know, my dad, um, my dad is really good at this too. He's a pretty quiet guy, but he, he skis a lot. Right. And so sometimes he goes up solo and he's always thinking about like, what, what's something I can talk to somebody on like the chairlift, right. And connect yeah. with somebody, you know. Well, I think, it, yeah, that's so cool. And Cause I think we, you know, like I said, we just go through our lives with our head down sometimes. And I've done that on town, Lake trail, like, okay, I'm going to make it my goal to talk to one person that I don't, that I've never met. Yeah. And it's really weird. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to do. And yeah. so I just would find something that was an easy, like talk about someone's shoes or their socks. Yeah. And you know, they might be like, this is kind of weird. This guy just ran up to me and started talking about my shoes. But, um, I think that's just 
it's, it was a cool like thing to try. You know, mm-hmm. I did it a few times and I haven't done it since, to be mm-hmm. honest. But I think um, we're kind of in our shells in life and we're afraid of being vulnerable. Um, we're afraid of like someone thinking we're weird, mm-hmm. you know, and doing just talking to someone on the street randomly, you know, is can change your day, can change your life, you know? Right. So, and then yeah, like you know, a lot of my contemplation has been like the, you know, how to answer the question when someone asked me, you know, like, oh, what brought you down to Texas? And like realizing like, oh, my, that's a heavy story that I don't know if this person's like ready to hear right now, right? So I always have to compute like what I'm gonna share about that. So, but it's like, it's a pretty casual question that somebody might ask you, you know, like, oh, what brought you to Texas? And like, well. <laughs> do you really wanna <laughs> you hear really that? Yeah. <laughs> no, and you know, it's significant, but you know, and somebody, somebody in line when I was with my parents one time asked me that and I kind of like shut it down and I was like, oh, it's just a long story, you know? And, and my dad kind of told me, he's like, you know, I think you need to find a different way to answer that because you, you know, you, you're just shutting down the conversation. I'm like, yeah, but I, sometimes I don't want to get wanna. into it, you yeah. know? And like, um, and, but yet you also don't know who, like who else, who can relate to your story right. in, in a way, unless you share it. So I was in a, you know, Uber one time with, uh, this, you know, my Uber driver said the same thing, you know, oh, what brought you to Texas, you know? So just sat there and like thought about whether I should tell her. And then I decided, okay, oh, fuck it, I'm gonna tell her, you know? So I told her this whole story and she's like, my son has a brain injury. He, you know, fell off a, a you know, balcony at a frat and he went through all of this, you know, went to this facility, this facility. She sat there and she wrote down a whole bunch of phone numbers of like people I should like call, really, you know, like help Marquette. And, and she, you know, she wrote down all these numbers and she turned to me and she's like, you will meet 100% of the people you need to on this journey. And that was just like really powerful, right? Because like in that moment, I wasn't sure if Say I should share. You, You'll meet a hundred percent of the people you need to on this journey. Uh, and this is your driver, my like, Uber driver. Uber driver, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. So it's like, yeah, and like I told my dad that he's like, "See, like you need to not be afraid to share your story." I'm like, "Yeah, but it's just it's heavy, you know." And, yeah. And I'm not sure if, if somebody else can like carry that heavy. It's basically like, "Hey, nice to meet you. I'm like carrying this weight. Do you want to carry some of it for me? You know, like right away." So. um some people I think are and, and don't mind. And some, some people, they, they don't know how to react because they don't know how, um, they can't relate to it. You know, right. some people can, you don't know who, who will be able to, you know. Right. And, but I think like your dad is saying, you know, maybe that can be up to them, you know, like it, mm-hmm. it, or if you want to share it, you know, if you're com- like, and you can ask that question. Do you really want to hear? Right. Like if someone asks him like if you're having a shitty day and someone's like, How are you doing? And you're like, Well, do you really want to know? Yeah. Like and most of the sometimes people are just maybe they don't, but I think other times I think that's what we need is more people being open and mm-hmm. and talking about what's on their mind and what's on their heart. And um that's part of community to me is being able to share that. And you know, I think it's significant for to have you share this with me and with um, our community. And I hope that it continues to help um, you connect with more runners in the group and 
for people to just hear that, right? Hear this whole story about mm-hmm. you. And, you know, some people might've heard of it or heard, it, heard you talk about it, but a lot of people haven't. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm not, I guess I shouldn't say I'm excited, but I'm, um, I'm grateful that you've shared that. And I hope that other people in the group can connect with it, um, in some way and, um, connect with you more. Cause I know it's, you know, living in Austin, it's still been a challenge to, to meet people. Um, but I hope that, that you having more opportunities to talk about it and people listening and being open, um, you know, cause I would love for you to stay here and continue to be a part of our community and be our community advisor. <laughs> <laughs> I'll so, do what I can. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Any last thoughts? We got to wrap it up. Um, that you could share maybe with anyone going through something similar. Oh, well, it's hard. I mean, what's similar? <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. tra- let's say just there's a traumatic experience. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it is just put one, putting one foot in front of the other, you know, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no roadmap for what I went through. You know, it, it, and that's what was hard is like, there's, there's not, it, it's almost like incomprehensible. Right. Right. Um, but like, you know, I also gone through it. It can be more empathetic towards people that have gone through stuff or I'm going through stuff, you know, like my friend's dad just recently passed away in a very, you know, similar way as what happened to Marquette. And I, I, I understood what he was going through while he's, you know, sitting in the hospital with his dad. So um, that it's given me sort of perspective on being present and being empathetic towards folks. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's it. Just like oh, that great. one foot in front of the you other know. and be present, you know, because you don't know when it's your last fucking day. Yeah. Cool, man. Thank you, Chris. Yep. All right, y'all, that's it. Y'all heard Chris Kirif here with us. Um, and what a crazy story that was. Um, and it's amazing how much, how running kind of helped him through such a traumatic experience and how it's still helping him work through this. Um, we're grateful to have him here today. We wish him the best on his journey. He's gonna keep running with us. Um, he's got some ultra races coming up. So um, appreciate y'all listening in. Also check us out on Spotify and iTunes, give us a review um, or send us some feedback um, on how we can improve. Thanks a lot.